Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for, for music, music teachers. teachers. You're listening to the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and today we're talking about polyrhythms. beautiful teachers, welcome back to the show. Today we're talking with Stacey Farian. So this is actually a recording that was first broadcast on YouTube a little while ago, but Stacey is on the blog today to share some of her favorite pieces with polyrhythms. So I thought it was a great opportunity to share this with you here so you can hear from her about why she loves polyrhythms and how she teaches them to her students. You will notice a little bit of an adjustment in the audio quality in the middle. That's because I have edited the regular speaking audio for the podcast. But in the middle of the interview-ish, Stacy starts um, demonstrating on the piano. And as you will know from Zoom and other things, the piano can get cut out when we try to edit audio for the vocal. So I've just adjusted it there to be more like the original audio quality and then gone back to the slightly enhanced audio when she returns to just speaking. I hope that was the best compromise. It was the best way I could come up with it, uh, with doing it. So I hope that suits you well as well. I love all the different piano examples, so I didn't want to lose those in the middle of the interview. So without further ado, let's dive into this lovely interview with Stacey. We have a special guest for our special weekly topic, and our guest today is Stacey Farian. If you haven't heard of Stacey, you should have. Her music is some of my absolute favorite Piano Pronto's composer community. I'm not saying a lot because there are some amazing composers in there. And she's here today to talk to us especially about polyrhythms. So welcome to the show, Stacey. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here with you. Well, sort of with you. (laughs) (laughs) With you virtually. Yeah, it counts. It's so good to finally meet you because I feel like I've known you for so long because I've followed your music for so long, but I haven't actually met you in person. So it's so good to be able to connect like this online and to share your thoughts with everyone in our community here. Before we get to all the polyrhythm stuff and all that fun, can you first tell us a little bit more about yourself, Stacey? Where, what's your musical background? How did you end up doing this? Oh yeah, that's yeah, a good question. So I, I actually got my master's in piano performance and pedagogy back in two thousand and three, I think. And then I actually didn't do much with music for about ten years after, and then went to 
some some life situations and then kind of turned to composing as an outlet. So I started composing in this whimsically macabre style right around 2012. And at some point met Jennifer Ackland and she started publishing my music and, and everything has just been wonderful since then. It's It's been kind of amazing. Yeah. So, oh, that's incredible. And you're, <laughs> I guess, next year coming up on your 10 year anniversary, which I noted noticed as you're speaking because it's also that's when I got married so I'm like 10 years coming up on 10 years like like my marriage <laughs> yeah marriage. I'll have to figure out <laughs> what the 10 year gift is yeah yes you'll have to get yourself something to mark the occasion that's awesome well as I said I absolutely love your music and I hope people will check it out and find you on the composers community on pianopronto.com now we so said much. we would talk specifically about polyrhythms today because you had, you have a new book, new-ish, anyway, fairly new book about polyrhythms with some different examples. It's really unique in its approach, but I'd love to know before we dive into what's in, in the book and the structure you've taken there, what made you want to cover this topic? What made you want to dive into something that isn't the least intimidating <laughs> to cover? Yeah, I, um, I've been a little obsessed with rhythm for years and I think it started, well, I can pinpoint when it started because I discovered Manjanath has this YouTube channel where he's constantly posting South Indian or kind of experiments where he's reciting conical usually. And, and I just like was astounded at the rhythmic feats that he accomplishes. Mm -hmm. And so I actually began by writing lots of stuff in odd meters and playing with rhythmic displacement and the next logical step was really polyrhythms. So I'm just a little rhythm obsessed and it's probably BC Manjanath's fault. I've, I've taken a lot of classes with him and some other people who are also obsessed with rhythm. So <laughs> that's yeah. kind of how it happened. Oh, and I awesome. felt like I struggled sometimes to convey with students like polyrhythms and I, I realized I needed a better method for strategically introducing this and really what I tried to do in the book was I tried to do a whole bunch of things but um, I tried to strategically introduce these so that they're not intimidating and also tried to give students an opportunity to improvise with these rhythms because I really strongly believe that the best way to learn anything is just to kind of make it your own and create something with it. And then I also, because I couldn't resist, I tried to introduce all the modes <laughs> along with the polyrhythms. So I had students improvising like in Lydian mode with a specific polyrhythm, just because I feel like all of that stuff is sometimes neglected. Like our students learn their major and minor scales and then they're done, but, but no, there's so many more scales out there and modes and, and things to experiment with, so. Yeah, I love that. And it's like you've taken the two things that are often neglected and just brushed past. We just say, oh, yeah, there's modes. They're kind of like this. Let's go over here now. Like, <laughs> that's a whole other thing. Let's not get into it. But I mean, it's great to be able to explore it as well as polyrhythms and to have a dedicated way to explore it. Like, I love the way the book is, is laid out because I don't know about most people. In fact, I'd love to hear from people in the chat what way they were introduced to polyrhythms, even two against three. The classic here is just nice cup of tea is basically all you're told is to do nice cup of tea. 
and that works out well because we're Irish so we drink tea all the time and then that's about it <laughs> but I'd love to know if other people had more comprehensive training or if you didn't even get that and they just said just do something about it or dove into the maths because that's how I understood it but that's not going to be appropriate for many many kids to me I automatically want to work out everything mathematically but that's not most children so it's great to have another approach to it. Do you remember, Stacey, what way it was approached in your own studies? Did you get any introduction before, I mean, before later meeting a whole world of polyrhythms and getting involved with it? Yeah, I I believe I was told just to play, like, if it was four against three, I would play four and make sure that was steady and, like, with the metronome, and then play three with the metronome, and then just, like, make sure the first beat lines up. So I I don't I don't have a strong memory, but I think that's how I was taught because like with the the famous Chopin fantasy impromptu. I, I couldn't play it slowly because I didn't quite know how the four against three composite rhythm sounded when I learned it. And so when I returned to that piece now I still don't think my polyrhythm is as precise as it because I just can't unlearn the way I learned yes. it. So I feel like the composite rhythm is so important. Like hot cup of tea is the composite rhythm. So that's like actually a beautiful way of learning two against three, where you just know it's one, two, and three, one, two, and three. And then you can separate that out. But once you get into the higher level ones, it becomes obviously a lot more complicated. But you can still use that same system as long and that's what I try to convey in the book is first, first you do need to get really used to switching divisions. So I have some exercises where you're ideally you put your metronome on when you do this, but you switch between dividing the beat by two, then three, then four, then five. And I feel like five is, is the most difficult because we don't do that as often. So I included like a scale exercise where you just do that. And I think it's, I think it's fun. My students probably would argue with me. <laughs> I'm like, here's another fun scale exercise you can do. Like, it's really awesome. And they're like, oh, here she goes again. <laughs> I actually um, think students can often really love that if it's challenging enough. I think if we give them scale exercises that are too easy or rhythm exercises like that, where they can almost do it, but they can't really quite do it perfectly so we're making them stick with it like that's what's boring when it's really hard that's when they are like oh well I'll grasp this nettle I'll take it on you know so yeah that's fantastic and five is definitely going to be the most challenging for most students isn't it so tell us more about the layout of the book where does it go from there you start with these scale type exercises is that right yeah is it helpful if I just play a couple of sure these? yeah absolutely um, so it starts with the rhythm exercise that's dividing two and then three and then four and five. So the first rhythm exercise is it's in G Lydian because I couldn't just do a G five finger pattern. <laughs> so you start with two and three, four, five. Ideally, you would do this with the metronome on, but I just didn't turn my on. Um, so, and then it, it um, 
does that more quickly. So you do two of two, three of three, four of four, and so on, and then just one of each. So that's kind of a preliminary exercise, and then I take it to the scale exercise, which a lot of you probably do this exercise already in your studios where you do like one octave quarter notes, two octaves, eighth notes, three octaves, triplets, four octaves, sixteenths. And I've done that one frequently. That's a great one. This one is just kind of a twist on that that includes the quintuplets. Um, so at the end, there are two octaves only of quintuplets. And it also has this, um, at, well, I'll show you, but when you get to the bottom of the scale, you don't stop at the tonic. <laughs> so students get extra practice doing this bottom turnaround. <laughs> so I'll just demonstrate that too. Hopefully I can play my scales in front of a bunch of piano teachers. Okay. <laughs> So two, three, four, five. It is nerve-wracking to play your scales in front of piano teachers. It definitely <laughs> is. I know that feeling um, so well, Stacey. I have all the empathy for you. You did great. <laughs> oh, it's wonderful to see it come to life. Um, so those are preliminary exercises. And then the next, um, <laughs> the next exercise is also um, something, you don't even need the book for this. Basically, I just am doing a repeated pattern of three notes over and over in the right hand that never changes. So that's your constant. One, two, three. You can choose any notes you want. I chose these three. <laughs> um, so that's my three pattern. And then I'm basically just playing every two notes in the left hand. So this is another preliminary exercise. And then I switched to playing, um, if I did every three notes, it would line up perfectly. So I switched to playing every four notes in the left hand. And if you took out the extra notes there, you're actually playing a four against three polyrhythm. Um, and then I go on to every five notes in the left hand. So you just practice that and I actually put in seven against three because in this method, it's actually pretty easy to play seven against three every seven notes. And you just start nice and slow. And then if you feel like a challenge with this particular exercise, you can actually out the extra notes in the right hand and then you're playing a straight up um, two against three polyrhythm same thing here so then you're playing four against three 
Um, so this is a really systematic approach where I, I meant to write in the book that you can repeat all these measures ad lib um, as many times as your heart desires until you really internalize these rhythms. Um, but that's another exercise that kind of leads to the introduction of the polyrhythms. There's another exercise in etude in groups of four and an etude in groups of five, which both do the same thing, um, just with larger groups in the right hand that never vary. Um, and then getting into how I teach polyrhythms, there are these, um, I don't know if I can hold this up to the camera and you can see it, but in, in the book, <laughs> um, you can see that there are, let me find the right page. Um, there are little diagrams for visual learners like that show, I'm not holding this up right, yeah, show how the polyrhythm looks on sort of a clock face, and then a graph that shows how it divides between the hands. And instead of hot cup of tea, I use not difficult um, for two against three. Um, but basically what I would have students do first is not difficult, not difficult, or hot cup of tea, hot cup of tea. So they learn the composite rhythm first, and then between the hands they can tap it. So if you're doing um, two in the right hand and three in the left hand, hot cup of tea, not difficult, not difficult, not difficult. And then they might just start playing notes with it. And then you go into um, an improv exercise. So I have an improv suggestion, but students can just go their own way if they feel like it. They don't have to follow the improv suggestion. Um, but this would sound like this particular improv is in E Phrygian. So just all the white keys on E. <laughs> so I just throw in a little mode there, but. They just would play that rhythm over and over again. So that's kind of how I introduce it. Actually, I went probably way too quickly through all of that. So no, but it still gives us it gives us a wonderful introduction to the method. It's a great opportunity to practice it, and I just love that you immediately take it and go, "Okay, now improvise with it. Now use it. It's music." And it sounds awesome. I mean, especially since you've given them that lovely Phrygian scale. It's just like opens up the whole, oh, this is really, this is what cool music sounds like. Like this isn't just some silly exercise. Thank you. Yeah. I, I just feel like I, I watched your interview with June Armstrong and I was so impressed with what she said. She had some addendum to all of her books where she said, like, just, you know, feel free to do your own thing. I'm paraphrasing, but like, do your own thing as long as it's musical. And I totally agree with that. Like, like I just want other people to experience the joy of improv and composition. And so if they just want to stop playing my music and start writing their own thing right in the middle, I, I'd actually prefer that. But um, 
Yeah, so then there's an etude based on that rhythm. So the next etude, Distant Bells. I introduce all of these rhythms in the etudes with more subdivisions, and then I gradually delete them until you're basically playing the polyrhythm. And I feel that that's one of the best methods for learning any complicated rhythm is actually to add extra notes and and then delete them, but you still kind of hear them while you're doing the rhythm itself. So like Distant Bells has this. So you do six measures of this, hot cup of tea, hot cup of tea, before you end up doing the actual polyrhythm between the hands. And then there's just a lot of repetition in it. But I tried to make all of these sound like also, like not just etudes, but pieces that could be played in recitals. Hopefully they sound like that. But I worked hard to make these musical and not just rhythm exercises. So. They, um, they, so they do sound like real music, yeah. I can see students loving playing these. And, you know, you don't even need to tell them it's an etude. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah at first. <laughs> right. I actually avoided calling them etudes in the book, so I gave them all descriptive names. And... Yeah, so, so in any polyrhythm, so there's always one dominant rhythm and then another rhythm that sort of plays off of that. And this is something... One of the reason, reasons I like polyrhythms is they're almost like an auditory illusion where you can only tune into one division or the other, but you can't really hear both simultaneously. So I flip all the polyrhythms. So we that was two against three. I flip it to three against two. And all that means is that now, instead of three being the dominant rhythm, two is the dominant rhythm, and we're fitting three into that. So whatever the second number is, like if we're doing four against three, that means three is the dominant rhythm and we're fitting four into that. Um, and, and so all of these have like the flipped polyrhythm as well. There's three against four and four against three. Because oddly enough, those two things to me feel like very different rhythms. Even though it's exactly the same rhythm, it depends on how you're tuning into it or which rhythm you're hearing is dominant. But to me, if I hear four is dominant, it sounds different from when I hear three is dominant and four against three or three against four. So like three against two, I switched it also to six, eight, just to demonstrate that this is the same rhythm. It's just a different time signature. So in this one, you're counting one and a two and a one and a two and a instead of one, two and three. But essentially it's still the same composite rhythm. And with that one, I introduced Dorian mode, but I don't know if teachers probably want to hear more about four against three or three against four, <laughs> or I don't know, five against four. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, they can let us know in the comments. I just love exactly what you said there. It's an auditory illusion. It's like, it is literally like a visual illusion that you would see. Once you focus on the duck, you can't see the rabbit. And when you focus on the rabbit, you can't see the duck. And it is like that when you're listening to these things, you focus on one line and you're not actually really hearing the other. And you don't really hear the two together in, in any true sense. I get what, exactly what you're saying there. I also love all the subliminal messaging you've got going on here with all the phrases like, because you chose not difficult. I actually like that better than nice cup of tea. That's just the classic one we were taught, but not difficult. And then we've got this rhythm I can feel inside later in the book. 
Or you've got, yes, I can play three and five. <laughs> They're so fun. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. My students sometimes get mad at me about the not difficult one. I think that one is, that wasn't the, I didn't make that up. I learned that from someone else. I've heard that one before. Where, but, yeah. Yeah. But some of the other ones, like I can play, I can play this rhythm. I can play this rhythm. Yeah. It's funny because it's almost like I've noticed some of my students sort of bristle at that, like, like as if I'm telling them an affirmation that they don't believe in <laughs> quite yet. Yeah. But yeah, I tried to make them all sound like rhythmic affirmations. So I'm glad you noticed that. <laughs> yes, no, I love it. I love a good message like that. I'm a big into like growth mindset and grit around here. So those kind of affirmations are really useful for just building in. No, I'm going to stick with it until it actually is not difficult. Like. I often tell students that, okay, that's the most challenging bit. So we're going to work at it so much that it's your favorite bit because it's easy. So that's, you know, what the, these rhythms can be easy and super fun if we work at them first. That's, that's such a good point. Yeah, because they're, they actually aren't that hard if you know how to approach them. And if you eventually internalize the composite rhythm, like three against five is actually and four against five, those are not that hard. Like if I can do them, anyone can. <laughs> yeah, I I agree. If I can do it, anyone can, for sure. My coordination is not the most, it doesn't come easy. So if I can do it, anyone could do it. And getting students to try them in all sorts of creative ways. Like you could take a lot of the exercises, you have the, you, you're tapping them out there, but they can do it stamping their feet versus tapping or playing two different instruments or, you know, like rhythm instruments or lots of different ways. So there's just such great scope there for getting creative with it and with wonderful music. Like it just sounds good, which is what we're all in it for, right? Even the six-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Stacey, this time has flown. I can't believe. <laughs> It's already time to let you go, but it has been wonderful to hear you play some of this music. And we have the link, by the way, in the description, everyone, to the book on Stacey's site, as well as to her own site, where you can learn more about her. So definitely check those out. If you've got any students, like Deb said, most of my students want to explore jazz, so I deal with polyrhythms on a weekly basis and have to practice it often. Yes, we need to keep our own skills sharp. So. Maybe we need to all pick up a copy of this book and challenge ourselves to each one of them before we even challenge students to. But I, I love all the opportunities for creativity. So thank you so much for sharing them with us, Stacey. It's been wonderful. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Yeah, I'm so happy to be able to share this. So thank you. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, we'll have to have you back on again sometime. But in the meantime, I hope everyone goes and gets your book. And thank you for the sp spending the time out of your day. Oh, this is lovely. Thank you. I really hope you enjoyed that interview. I would encourage you to check out Stacey's books. They're absolutely fantastic. She has them through Piano Pronto. So that's pianopronto.com or just look up Stacey's name, Stacey Farian, and you should come across her books there. I hope you enjoyed that interview and I will see you back here next week. Vibrant Music Teaching membership costs less than the price of one lesson each month. That is totally worth it for all of the courses, games, 
resources, downloadables, printables that you can get access to as a member, as well as a fabulous community support you'll find inside. Go to vmt.ninja and become part of the revolution. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it and I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July and you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. See you there.